the Pediatric Lounge, a podcast taking you behind the door of the Physician's Lounge to get a deeper insight into just what docs are talking about today. From the clinically profound to the wonderfully routine and everything in between. Welcome to the podcast. This week we have a four-part podcast because of the importance of the subject that we're discussing. Part one will be the interview with Dr. Leah Gagino from Kalamazoo, Michigan, who is an expert in mental health in the pediatric office, suicide screening and prevention in children. This will be followed by a panel with expert pediatricians who discuss how they're doing mental health in their offices across the U.S. A second interview with Dr. Gagino about suicide prevention and suicide awareness and screening in the pediatric office, and a fourth episode, which will have the panel and what we're doing across the U.S. to prevent the number two cause of death in young Americans. And we're back on this third episode with Dr. Leah Gagino. As we level said, on tools to use for suicide screening, and prevention in the pediatric office. Because of the way it's worded, and this is research-based, not my own, but Dr. Horowitz from the National Institute of Mental Health, because it asks the question, are you having thoughts that you would be better off dead or of hurting yourself in some way? So that or changes how people read the question and thinking about hurting yourself in some way is different than are you thinking about killing yourself? So the research that they did in large, they did large pediatric ERs, primary care setting, and inpatient hospital is that you would miss kids who are having thoughts of suicide if you do only do the PHQ-9. Now, I think you should do the PHQ-9, but I would recommend that you then also add a suicide screener. And it's now in Bright Futures recommendation as of July of 22. And there's, there's two that are the most commonly used, and that would be the Columbia sometimes referred to as the CSSRS or the ASK. The, unfortunately, it's the same as our ASQ, but it's the ASK, ASK suicide screening questions. In my practice, we use the Columbia and this was before we weren't doing it universally. And we can talk about that, what that means in a minute. We were using it as a, a step two, but I think to combine those two and they actually, NIMH put out kind of a, what a paper form would look like if you had the PHQ-9 plus the ASK affixed to it. I think it's a nice tool for those of you that are doing the PHQ-2 and then the 9, just skip it, do the PHQ-9. There is no advantage to doing the PHQ-2. You will, you will miss people and people that are suicidal are not necessarily depressed as are depressed people, not necessarily suicidal. So they're two different things. They can, they can cross, but they don't always. So that's a very important point because since the FDA had magical thinking of putting a black box label and if you're mm-hmm. depressed and you take a, a SSRI, you might kill yourself. Well, if you're depressed and you don't take any medications, what might you do too? We have all feared that the depressed patient is the one that's going to commit suicide. But there's a large number of patients that are not depressed, that are impulsive, and we can't tell. And they will visit a primary care doctor or community physician often before they commit suicide. I can tell you, you know, so in the Bright Futures recommendation, it talks about universal screening. So what does that mean? 
So the recommendations from the USPSTF came out in 2009 about depression screening and recommended annual screening. So I think that's what most of us have been doing. So universal screening, if you talk to somebody like Lisa Horowitz at NIMH who designed the screen and has done all the research, her vision of universal screening is at every visit that you ask, because even if that kid came in for a sinus infection, it is possible that they have suicidal ideation. That is daunting. I mean, I'm thinking, how am I going to do that? I do think that there's a a place between the two of annual suicide screening and every, every visit. And I would say at minimum, we should be doing every patient that comes in for behavioral health. If you're treating for ADHD or depression, anxiety, that we should be screening routinely for, you know, do the PHQ-9, your GAD-7 and your suicide screener. And I would say consider it for complex medical and also kids that are having those somatic complaints, chronic stomach aches, chronic headaches, lots of school absenteeism, if there's a lot of social determinants of health. So I think be generous about when you do the screen. And it's quick. The ASQ is five questions. It's quick. It's scripted. The Columbia, the short version is six questions. It's also scripted. Both have been validated in kids. So going back to what Dr. Minkin said, I would think that doing it in the office at their well-child exam in person would be great. And then maybe sending it through a text message or Freesia, which is, which is basically a, a HIPAA-compliant text messaging app two or three times a year to the teenager to just check that you're doing okay, just fill this out. Let's make sure you do okay would not be too cumbersome. We might pick somebody that you can save, combine both in-person and digital communication. Um, Do you think that would be a good option? I think you got to start somewhere for sure. And I think the first step is start doing the screener routinely, at least annually, and then adding it to those behavioral patients. The actual, the ASK screener, it's validated for kids 10 and up. And then for younger than 10, even down to ages six and up, if they're behavioral health concerns. So if you're treating an ADHD kid who comes in and says, you know, I'm going to jump off the roof and you're like, "Mm, is he really, or what does that mean? This is a perfect instance to say, you know what, let me ask you some questions and to do that, doing it through a portal. I think the only caveat we had to run this through legal is it was a statement that just said, if you're having suicidal ideation, please contact so so that people knew that that wasn't necessarily going to be checked right away. So I do think just keeping that in mind. I think we just need to get much more liberal. And I see in the chat, you know, that the the rate of positives is not astronomical. So for the most part, and I don't have the percents off the top of my head, for the most part, they're going to be negative and you're just going to move right along. As far as what do you do if it's positive? I mean, that's the fear. Yeah, I can ask the questions, but what if it's positive? And and Gene's saying we had a 4% positive doing it universally. That's all. Um, and I think in the hospital setting, when they did it in um, uh, on medical floors, it was similarly small. So, uh, you know, again, I think doing this in a routine and just kind of get used to doing that and be prepared before you start implementing it. Think about, OK, what am I going to do with the positive? You have to do a risk assessment. You have to know how to assess. Is this a low, medium or high assessment. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. So, so 
for those of us who are not very familiar with, I'm just gonna call the suicide screening test from NIH. There's five questions, right? And they're scripted yep. and they're in multiple languages and we put them up on the pediatric lounge website, but they're also available through the NIH as a package, right? Yep. Question number five is, are you having those thoughts of killing yourself right now, which is imminent risk? And in the primary care setting, it is unusual. It may happen, but it's uncommon. I could count on one hand how many kids told me I'm going to go home and I am going to kill myself today. It happened. I've had it happen, but it's very uncommon. Most kids are going to be either low or moderate risk, and many are going to fall into that. You know, I broke up with my boyfriend and sometimes I just wish I could go to sleep and not wake up. That is a very common scenario. And then there's those ones in the middle, the moderate risks. Those are the tougher ones. Those are hard. Those are the ones I think, George, that are that trip us up and take up that time that that you were asking about. I'm going to interrupt you again. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. um, But I want to let the audience know they can go to our website or Dr. Sirota has recommended a website with Northwest University. And she's modeled the interview with uh, on video. It takes about 20 minutes to watch. But she goes through the five questions, how it should be done. Well, I guess I am old, but when I, when I, when I'm older, yes, well, that is true. But when I was starting to train, we always had the fear not to talk about suicide because we were planting the thought in the child's brain. Yeah. How wrong is that thinking, Leah? There, there is research that that is not true. So I think that is one of those things you can take away from this, that you're asking, are you having thoughts of suicide is not going to make someone suicide, suicidal who is not already suicidal. (coughs) I think the other question that a lot of people ask is about liability and risk. You know, if I ask these questions and then that person goes home and kills themselves, I'm at liability for that. I've been to several conferences where an attorney spoke who was a defense attorney who said, if I see in the record that they used a validated screen like the Columbia or the document, they did a risk assessment, they documented that they had a plan, a a safety plan and follow up. If that was documented, he said, I just don't pursue that. It's just because you've done the highest level of care. So I think that there is, I just heard a family talk about being witness to a code and watching the code as the team was doing it. And they said, what I knew from when they were running that code, that, that team was doing everything they possibly could for our child. And even if the child died, I knew that they did everything possible. I think it's in that, in that vein. Great. And then in one of your podcasts, you went through scripting how to respond when a child does say they want to commit suicide, because it's shocking. You know, it's provider trauma or spillover trauma. We feel incompetent. I can't fix this problem. I don't have a medication for it. I'm not a psychiatrist. So Mm. what should I go? What should I learn? What should be my script when somebody 12 says, I want to kill myself? I think the first thing you do is kind of check yourself, check your pulse and just take a deep breath and you've got this. You can, you know how to triage, you know how to triage an asthmatic episode. You you need to know the questions. Tell me a little bit about, I gosh, first of all, you want to thank them. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that was really difficult. Can you tell me a little bit more? How often have you been having those thoughts? Have you ever thought, have you ever had a plan? What, what would you do? Have you thought about how you would do that? Have you ever tried it before? And, and then you kind of get the story. It's not 
super long to do that brief assessment and that NIMH toolkit. And I put that in the in the chat there briefly, it walks you through it. It looks complicated. There's a lot of words on that page, but if you read it through and also in the podcast, there is a PA that talks about how they implemented it in his. So this is doable, but I think the first thing is to sort of. So the first uh, thing is check my, check. it's not imminent right there. You have some time. So the first thing is to check my pulse. The second thing is to thank him for sharing. Yep. And the third thing I think is what you mentioned is even though I can't fix it, tell them I've got your back. We're going to work through this together and we're going to get you to the right place. And your mom and dad, you and I, we're a team and this is going to get solved. Beautiful. You just just modeled that. I'm here for you. And my job is to help keep you safe. And that's my job to work with your family. So we're going to do this together. And and however you're going to make that happen, and it's going to take time to do that. Safety planning is a whole nother, it is an evidence-based intervention that you can do. Take some time. I can do it in about 15 minutes. So, and that's a whole nother training to do a safety plan, but it is a doable intervention that is evidence-based. So Stanley Brown is the kind of the, the one that most people use. But I, I think that trying to sort out, is this imminent risk? If it's imminent risk, you're going to send them to the emergency room. That one's easy. If it's low risk, you have some time. The moderates are the ones you're going to have to to sit with a bit. And so, again, this is because I'm old. If you said, I'm going to kill myself, you call the cops, 911, you, you take a right to the emergency room, you get admitted, you sit with a babysitter to the psychiatrist says you're okay. Um, how has that thinking changed since I was trained by you and the people at MSU? Well, you know, I was right in your camp, man. If you asked me eight, 10 years ago, what did you do? I would have said I was calling the emergency room and why on earth are you not admitting this kid to the hospital? My experience in our area, I would say 75% of the kids that do get sent to the ER and a lot of them are coming from the schools too. So not just us, those kids go home and guess what? They come right back. So, and and the other thing is it's not magical what happens in the ER. They just have a person there that's trained to do an assessment. And I think if you have an integrated person, I mean, we spent so much time training our staff how to do a suicide risk assessment and how to do a safety plan. So when I could hand it off to my team person and say, you know what, I'm going to have Jen come in and sit with you and go through this, and then we'll come back together and always, always, always do lethal means counseling. Best course I can tell you is the CALM course, C-A-L-M. And if you just Google CALM and suicide prevention, it is a two-hour training online. It's free. Absolutely have to do lethal means counseling for any patient that has suicidal ideation. So briefly speaking, what are the things that kill people? Cars, guns? I was in kids. It is over 50% are by firearms. Suffocation or hanging is up there is the next most common. It's certainly sharps, but, and the most common method for an attempt is overdose, but it is the least lethal because you have to take a large volume and there's time for regret. So the lethality is lower than a firearm, which is, you know, 99% lethal. Hanging again is, it, that's a hard one. It's a hard one to restrict means in that setting. Thank you, Carrie, for putting that in the chat. So, but but by far and away, if there is a lethal means like a firearm in the home, the risk of suicide goes way up. And 80% of the suicides that occur by firearm, the, the firearm was owned by the parent. 
So the parents often assume I've got it locked up. They don't know where it is. The kids know. And if it's there, there, there's no time. There's no time for regret. Males are much more likely to die by firearms and suicide because we're more impulsive. Unless you're a woman physician and women physicians, women physicians are more likely than male physicians to die by suicide. Wow. Which I that is of interest and and kind of horrifying and what sad. What a tragedy! <laughs> yes, what a tragedy. What haven't I asked you that you think the audience would benefit from hearing? Say it again. What? What have I not asked you that I think? The, oh, what that, have you not asked me? Yeah, that the audience um, might benefit from hearing. I think the biggest thing is you can, you can do this. It is realistic. And, and kids need us. I mean, imagine if it was your child, your grandchild, your niece or nephew, and your child was in that much distress and were turned away as opposed to inviting them in. Like I am here. I can hear, I, I can hear the hardest thing that you have to tell me. And I'm here for you. Just, just lay it on me. And we'll walk through this together. I think you said it beautifully, Herb. And, you know, there's some questions I'm going to ask you. I'm going to talk to your parents. And I always talk to the parents, even if you don't think they're likely. This is like child abuse. We tell the parent. I, I think that's just a hands down. And, and there's not a HIPAA violation. Even if you have an 18-year-old, if you have reason to suspect they're going to harm themselves, HIPAA allows you to, to break confidence in that situation. So, you know, I think that... Th- be willing to ride the ride and educate yourself on how to do that. I've got a whole bunch of podcasts on suicide prevention and happy to chat more, do another podcast with you about that in depth. It is a passion of mine. Your your podcasts and your guests are phenomenal. Well, Leah, again, thank you for having taught me. I wasn't an easy intern. (laughs) That hasn't changed. I don't remember you being a problem, Herb. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for everything that you've done for the community of Kalamazoo and your leadership at the national level, advocating for suicide prevention and mental health and at the academy. You know, really. This is is truly an honor. And and George, I really, gosh, reach out and feel for you being, you know, in the private practice sector and, and doing the hard work. I mean, you you're in the trenches day in day out and you know do not underestimate your expertise and that you have this immense power and position to to touch people and i mean the the pediatricians out there you are in the weeds with the kids and that's where the where the magic is and that's where safe harbor is yeah we do have relationships with them so they do listen yes. to us most of the time it's it's all about relationship honestly it is about relationships that's what saves us. And in the words of Heather Forkey, you know, the, the trauma response is fight, flight, freeze, and affiliate. And that's what, that's what saves us being with each other. Absolutely. I'm going to turn it over again to Dr. Carey, CEO of Allied Physicians Group to discuss with the expert panel. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Pediatric Lounge. On the show notes, you will find links to our co-host and other important notes as well as a timetable of the topics discussed today. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a great review as it helps us greatly. In the meantime, we will see you next week, the Pediatric Lounge. The conversations are not intended as medical advice and the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and the guests.